The Prophet from Babylon by Camille Majdali. Daniel chapter 6 In the Lion's Den Reading from Daniel 6 verses 1 and 2 It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom an hundred and twenty princes, which should be over the whole kingdom. And over these three presidents, of whom Daniel was first, that the princes might give accounts unto them, and that the king should have no damage. Promotion to Peril Daniel chapter 6 verses 1 to 7 In this chapter is one of the most famous stories of the entire Bible, Daniel in the lion's den. While Sunday school children may be familiar with it, do we both young and old, understand what it really means. Daniel did not face mortal peril because he had done the wrong thing. On the contrary, he was thrown to the lions for doing the right thing. He was an experienced, competent, trustworthy professional who walked in integrity all his life. While these things can get you commendation, they can also get you into trouble. Just ask Joseph who was in captivity for years. In Psalm 105, verse 19, it says, quote, Until the time that his word came, the word of the Lord tried him. Both Joseph and Daniel were tried by the word of the Lord, but they passed their tests and gained the prize. Their sterling behavior is an example for us all. Chapter 6 starts off with Darius appointing 120 princesses over 120 Persian satraps, the equivalent to a county, province, or mini-state. Gabaru was the governor of Babylon. Again, it was not clear whether Darius is a proper name or merely a title. Daniel was the first of three governors, to whom the 120 princesses were all accountable. This was for the protection of the king and empire. Remember that Daniel was a high-up official in the Babylonian Empire, and he continued to be used by the incoming Persian Empire. He was not merely a Babylonian holdover. Despite advanced age, Daniel's skills and experience proved to be invaluable. Few people could survive working for testy Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel did. Few people could seamlessly transition from one empire to another. Daniel did. Few people could master being highly educated and deeply spiritual. Daniel excelled in this department. In the following pages of this narrative, we will not just explain Daniel chapter 6, but also the character traits that, like cream, propelled Daniel to the top. Apply these principles and you too will be promoted. The Glories of an Excellent Spirit Daniel chapter 6, verse 3, in the Authorized Version. Then this Daniel was preferred above the presidents and princesses, because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king thought to set him over the whole realm. Daniel's appeal in the eyes of the king was not just his experience and advanced intelligence. It was his excellent spirit. We will learn what this means shortly. Those who adopt this attitude will not fail to rise to the top. Daniel had a sharp mind even in his golden years, just like Moses, Joshua, and Caleb. His excellent spirit brought him recognition, 
honor, and promotion, but it would also attract unwanted attention, including envy, resentment, and trouble. Understandably, this opposition came from people who lacked an excellent spirit themselves. In a world full of change and challenge, people who look for those who have gone ahead and triumphed over all obstacles, in other words, society searches for heroes. Heroes are inspiring individuals who can entertain, distract, or better still, provide an outstanding role model when confronted with life's difficulties. If they prevailed, so can we. The problem is that most heroes are cast according to worldly and outward criteria, good looks, fortune, muscle, shapely figure, popularity, and the like. These things have a momentary and sensuous appeal, but they do not provide permanence or true satisfaction, nor do they make a great leader. It is like green grass and bright flowers, which have their day in the sun, but as the scorching heat and east winds blow, they wilt, dry out, and fade away. We need to change our appetite from temporal celebrities to enduring heroes, people with a lasting legacy. Don't focus on people who merely make a momentary smudge. Look to the man or woman who leaves an eternal mark. This hero, of course, is Daniel, the prophet from Babylon, one of the key figures of Scripture. This blameless and nearly flawless individual became a role model of integrity and achievement. Daniel soared in the high jump of holiness, ran in the marathon of morality, sprinted through the race of righteousness, and cruised through the swim of sanctification. All of this was gloriously possible because he did not have a B-plus nor A-minus spirit, but an A-plus-plus-plus excellent spirit. Fortunately for us, it is transferable to those who seek after it. An excellent spirit defined. Thomas Jefferson third president of the United States, said this, Nothing can stop the man with the right mental attitude from achieving his goal. Nothing on earth can help the man with the wrong mental attitude. Ingredient one of an excellent spirit, a good attitude. What precisely is an excellent spirit? From an earthly viewpoint, it means a good attitude. There are some great quotes on this subject, like, attitude determines altitude. The late Bob Gass, author of The Word for Today, a widely read devotional, had two outstanding quotes on this subject. The first quote, Circumstances will not hold you back, but your attitude will. Second quote, A bad attitude is like a flat tire. Until you change it, you're not going anywhere. As always, however, the biblical idea both goes deeper and higher. Daniel himself was described by the Babylonians as a man of light, understanding, wisdom, knowledge, ability to interpret dreams, to solve hard problems, and to dissolve doubts. Such accolades made him sound almost superhuman, until they are prefaced with the phrase, In whom is the Spirit of the Holy Gods? Daniel 5.11. The impartation and indwelling of the Holy Spirit does give an individual, any individual, access to the entire storehouse of divine wisdom and skill.
The second ingredient to an excellent spirit? Understanding. Even those believers who would be considered mature and spiritual may still not have an excellent spirit until they possess this ingredient. According to Proverbs chapter 17, verse 27, it tells us that an excellent spirit belongs to, quote, a man of understanding. In other words, we need to perceive, not just to receive, to discern before we decide, to act and not merely acknowledge. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 7 exhorts us to get wisdom and to feverishly, passionately, and wholeheartedly pursue understanding. Why such an emphasis on understanding? Understanding helps to dispel ignorance, eliminate prejudice, overhaul mental limitations, and cause right pathways to be lit. Such understanding comes by, one, asking the right questions, even if it makes you look ignorant in front of your peers. Two, being a diligent searcher for answers and truth, even at the cost of much pleasurable discretionary time. Three, refusing instant, trite explanations that are spoon-fed to shallow hearts. Forget the talking points and dig deep for the real issues and insights. True understanding comes by seeking knowledge, practicing wisdom, and most of all by pursuing God, the source of all. The passionate pursuer of the living God will invariably find him and also grow in wisdom and understanding. Again, Proverbs chapter 4, verse 7 makes the pursuit of wisdom and understanding the number one priority of life itself. Ultimately, both qualities lead you to the throne of the living God. In short, a person of understanding knows and obeys God's word and is compliant with and quickened by the Holy Spirit. They not only know the what, that's knowledge, but they also know the why, that's understanding. The reward of understanding includes great promotion, honor, a crown of glory, long life, right paths, unhindered walk, and no stumbling block. No wonder we are exhorted to get wisdom and with all our might get understanding. As a person of understanding, the excellent spirit in you makes you a passionate doer of God's word, not just a hearer. You also become meek. This means strength restrained by grace, letting God make the way straight, do the heavy lifting, and vindicate his servants in the place and time of his choosing. Understanding means you are hungry and open for all that God has available for your life teachable, correctable, ever ready to learn and to do. The excellent spirit will bring instruction, insight, and inspiration to your life. The third ingredient of an excellent spirit, gratitude. No question about it. People with an excellent spirit have a good attitude, understanding, and are grateful. This point cannot be stressed enough. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18, is very clear on this point. Quote, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. God-honoring thankfulness needs to be in everything, the good times, the less good, and in the days that we need more grace.
translated a bad day. Remember, in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 17, verses 11 to 19, the story of the ten lepers who came to Jesus for healing. They begged him for mercy, and he told them to show themselves to the priest, even though they were still ceremonially unclean. Yet Jesus spoke, they believed, and their faith was confirmed by obedience, of which they went off to the priest. En route to the priest, they were all completely healed. One of the lepers, a Samaritan, realized what had happened, cried in a loud voice, returned to Jesus to give him thanks and worship. Jesus was pleased with this display of gratitude, but it also raised a disturbing question. Where were the other nine lepers? Didn't any of them have the decency to come back and give thanks to God for their healing? Apparently not. Jesus called the grateful Samaritan a foreigner. No insult intended. Isn't that the case in other parts of the Gospels? The Roman centurion, the Syrophoenician woman, and now the Samaritan showed more faith and gratitude than the native-born Israelite. Faith and thanksgiving caused Jesus, always on the move, to stop in his tracks, take notice, and commend these people. If you want God's attention and favor, go and do likewise. The gratitude rate of Luke 17 was only 10%. Unfortunately, nothing has changed in the last 2,000 years. Ingratitude is rife, just like what it says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy. Today we live in a world with an entitlement mindset. Entitled people don't feel grateful to anyone since they believe what they receive is their due. Sadly, even some believers have fallen under such a spell. Cast it off quickly if you want an excellent spirit. Here's a command to put your excellent spirit to the test. Luke chapter 6, verse 35, quote, Love your enemies and do good, and lend, hoping for nothing again, and your reward shall be great, and ye shall be the children of the highest, for he is kind unto the unthankful and to the evil. God is consistently kind, whether dealing with saints or sinners, those who have an excellent spirit, who are the children of God, will do as the Father does. Did you remember to say thank you when someone gave you a gift, prepared you a meal, sent a donation, showed you an act of kindness, defended you, answered your questions? Whatever you do, never take God or His people for granted. One of the most important lessons this author learned in ministry training was this, always Always, always say thank you. Your gratitude can be conveyed in person, in writing, by a gift, or a phone call, even an email. Gratitude is a great part of communication. It will keep the doors open, and it will expand the favor of God on your life. Gratitude is not just towards people. God deserves our thanks morning, noon, and night. As one person aptly put it, all eternity 
is not long enough to thank Jesus Christ for being a great Savior and bestowing on us a great salvation. The last verse of the Psalms says, Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Psalm 150, verse 6. If you are breathing, you are commanded to praise God. Only if you are dead are you exempted from praising God. Psalm 115, 17 and 18. New Testament exhortations of thanksgiving are replete. So many here. But remember, I'll give you one Hebrews 13, I believe it's verse 15. Thanksgiving and praise go hand in hand, and the sooner you do these things, the higher you will soar. So let's not forget the clear and comprehensive exhortation of that same verse, Hebrews 13, 15. By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. What do we learn from this verse? 1. The sacrifice of praise should be offered continually. 2. The sacrifice of praise is the fruit of our lips. 3. The sacrifice of praise is when we give thanks to God and his name all the time. Those who possess an excellent spirit will tame the tigers, still the storm, and overcome the obstacles. Lions will be turned into tabby cats, dragons into drop-tailed lizards, buzzards into budgies, and pit bull terriers into chihuahuas. The excellent spirit changes everything. How to obtain an excellent spirit? To obtain an excellent spirit, you start by receiving the new birth, or what we call spiritual regeneration, that Jesus Christ offers those who say yes to the gospel. The new birth, or being born again, causes a rebirth of your personal spirit, the inner person. By inviting Christ into your life, by repentance and faith, as Lord and Savior, you are receiving wisdom in the form of a person. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 30 says that for us, God made Christ to be wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. After receiving Christ, we need to have our spirits filled with God's Holy Spirit. He gives us the power to be empowered, emboldened witnesses for Christ, which includes the ability to exhibit Christ-like behavior. To know what constitutes such Christ-like behavior, it is imperative to read, know, and apply our lives in the Word of God, namely the Holy Scriptures and the Bible. When hidden in your heart, it will keep you from being jittery, stumbling, and offended, according to Psalm 119.11 and verse 165. The costs of being offended are very high, and yet the solution is powerful and priceless. To, quote, hide the word in your heart, unquote, means to read, ponder, meditate, confess, review, and revisit again and again. Why not start with the celestial principles found in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5 to chapter 7? Rock-solid convictions become part of the spiritual landscape. The person of understanding learns to flow with the streams of change, yet stands firm and immovable in the eternal essentials. 
Today, people alter their morality and ideals to suit a perishing world and pander to a dying culture. Seeking to be relevant to the world can make you completely irrelevant to God. Oh, how desperately we need men and women who are strengthened by biblical convictions to stand as pillars in the house of the living God. Furthermore, there is a lightness and liberty that comes with understanding and excellence. Heaviness, moodiness, gray countenance, and depression begin to dissipate when brought into the light of understanding. Scrupulous attention is exercised to guard against any ungodly attitudes, ideas, or influences permeating our spirit. Health-conscious people teach us to avoid allowing tobacco, excessive fat, sugar, and highly refined foods into our physical bodies. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23 urges us to be on guard of our hearts with all diligence, for out of it flows the issues of life. If you allow jealousy, bitterness, covetousness, unforgiveness, anger, or lust to remain in your spirit, it will be polluted. You will remain grounded on the runway rather than taking off soaring and traveling to a better destination. For this reason, it is imperative to offload all hurt, bitterness, and heaviness of spirit into the grace-laden hands of Almighty God. Do not hold on to these things. Let them go so you can be free to reach your potential destiny in the Lord. Practical Exhortation for an Excellent Spirit while there are many scriptural injunctions that lead to an excellent spirit, one of my favorites comes from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And I'll quote the specific verses. Verses 12 and 13, Acknowledge, obey, and support spiritual leadership. Esteem them very highly in love for their ministry's sake. Verse 14, Warn the unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, support those who are weak, be patient with all people. Chapter 5, verse 15. Don't practice retribution or be evil against anyone. Do good to everyone. Verse Thessalonians 5, chapter 16. Rejoice at all times. Verse 17. Pray without ceasing. Verse 18. Give thanks in everything, for this is God's will for you. Verse 19. Do not quench the Holy Spirit. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 20, do not despise prophecies. Verse 21, examine all things and hold fast to what is good. Verse 22, refrain from all appearances of evil. Don't just avoid doing evil. Avoid doing anything that would even appear to be evil. Practice these things and your spirit will soar. The Perilous Plot, Daniel chapter 6, verses 4 to 9. When God bestows on an individual favor and anointing, many good things can happen, but also trouble can be near too. Just look what happened to the young David after he was anointed by Samuel to be king of Israel. He experienced rapid promotion, even becoming King Saul's son-in-law. Yet, he faced mortal danger from his jealous, demonized father-in-law. Chapter after chapter in 1 Samuel, is devoted to David's fugitive flight from Saul up and down the Judean hills. Daniel's 
excellent spirit would also result in him being put to the test. The princes and presidents saw how Daniel had been promoted, and they were filled with envy. They failed to find fault with Daniel because he was an experienced, competent, and godly man. No flaw or failing could be found in him due to his faithfulness. Chapter 6, verse 4. In other words, Daniel was a man of integrity. Since they couldn't find wrongdoing in the professional area, they latched onto one salient thing. Daniel's walk with the Lord, or, quote, the law of his God. Verse 5. So this would be an ancient and classic case of suppression of religious liberty. Today, this issue is becoming a battleground in the Western world, just as it still is in the developing world. From Nigeria to North Korea, and for that matter, the rest of the world, Christians face various levels of persecution. Pray for them continuously. In Daniel's case, harassing people of religious faith was unusual since the Persian Empire was meant to be cultured, liberal, multi-ethnic, enlightened, and religiously tolerant. However, it was about to happen for the next 30 days, yet the plot by Daniel's enemies to destroy him would ricochet against them in the end. At their audience with the Persian king, the presidents, princes, governors, counselors, and captains gave the customary greeting, O King Darius, live forever. Chapter 6, verse 6. Then they offered the king an ego-massaging royal decree. For the next 30-day period, no one was to ask a petition or prayer of any god except the king himself. It was, quote, persecution with an expiration date. What was the purpose of this decree? To reinforce the fact that the Persians are now the masters over former Babylonian land. Limiting this decree to 30 days meant that religious minorities were being muzzled in prayer to their god, but only temporarily. Yet, the penalty for contravention was high, a night in the lion's den. Of course, for those conspirators, they had but one person in mind, Daniel, and one God in mind, the Most High. The delegation put pressure on the king to sign the decree, reminding him that, according to the law of the Medes and Persians, it could not be altered once it was signed. Verse 8. And in verse 9, the king signed it immediately, and I would add, foolishly. Faithfulness under fire. Daniel chapter 6, verses 10 to 15. Daniel, faithful for many decades, a survivor of regime change, and now in advanced years, faced the greatest challenge of his life. What happened to his three friends? We don't know, but it's possible that by this point, they had already passed on. So now he was alone. Once he heard that the decree was signed, instead of lying low, he continued to give to God the things that are God's. He went to his house, opened the window, faced Jerusalem, and prayed three times daily, as was his custom. He did not change his devotional routine or compromise his walk with God to suit the king's unjust decree. It was obvious that our hero was a man of rock-solid conviction, along with courage and consistency. Verse 10. The enemies of Daniel could not believe their good fortune. And so soon, 
Daniel was caught in the act of doing something criminal. He was praying to God. Verse 11. They had trapped him, and there was no escape. Implementation of the penalty was to occur immediately. They demanded it. Like Satan himself, who is called the accuser of the brethren, in Revelation chapter 12, verse 10, Daniel's enemies went to the king and reminded him about signing a decree that no one could pray to any god for 30 days except him. No one is above the law, was their hypocritical mantra. The king responded, true, and also invoked the unchanging nature of the law of the Medes and Persians. Verse 12. Then came the formal indictment, this Daniel, from the people of the captivity of Judah. Was this meant to sound like an insult? Does not regard you or your decree. Verse 13. In fact, he actually prays three times a day. Since the devil hates prayer, he moved upon a heathen king to try and criminalize it. Remember in the 1960s, prayer by teachers in American government schools was banned by the United States Supreme Court. This helped kickstart the beginning of the current cultural civil war in the Western world. Even now there are attempts within the West to make prayer illegal in certain instances. This hatred of prayer is for a simple reason. It works, and the forces of darkness which inspire these moves knows it all too well. Darius realized his folly and was sore displeased with himself. Verse 14. Daniel was his best manager and asset. He tried to protect him and labored until the sunset for deliverance, but to no avail. In normal empires with an absolute monarch, Rex is Lex, meaning the king, who is Rex, is law. That's Lex. But in ancient Persia, it was the other way around. Lex is Rex. Once a law was signed and sealed, even the king himself could not change it. The situation of an alterable law would be magnified manyfold from the attempt to destroy a single person, Daniel, to the attempt to destroy all the Jewish people in the days of Queen Esther, a few decades later. Fortunately, God is both Rex and Lex, and Esther's generation, like Daniel himself, were delivered miraculously. Yet for now, Daniel's accusers went out of their way to pressure the king to carry out the punishment on the prophet from Babylon. They could not sleep until they knew Daniel was united with the lions. A night with the lions. Daniel chapter 6 verses 16 to 21. Heartbroken Darius knew he had no choice. The command was given to cast Daniel into the den of lions. As he was being thrown in, the king told Daniel that his God, whom he served continually, will deliver him. Verse 16. What a statement of faith from a heathen king. The lion's den was in a cave and underground. A stone was used as a barrier to the outside world. The door was sealed with the king's own signet and that of his lord's. This meant the purpose towards Daniel was unchanging. Into the cave of lions he must go. Darius went home and had the worst night of his life. He had no sleep and declined to have music played for him. He was not in the mood, and once it was morning, the king got up 
and went early to the den of lions. Verse 19. Then came the million-dollar question. O Daniel, servant of God, is your God whom you serve continually able to deliver you from the lion? Darius waited with bated breath for the answer. Verse 20. He did not have long to wait. He heard the familiar salutation. O king, live forever. Verse 21. It was Daniel's voice. Yes, he made it. Deliverance and punishment. Daniel chapter 6, verses 22 to 28. Of course, there came the follow-up question. What happened in the lion's den? How did Daniel survive? The prophet explained. God sent his angel, who shut the lion's mouth, so they could not hurt him. The reason he was spared was that he was innocent of transgression against God and man. Remember, the name Daniel means, my God is judge. So ultimately, it was God who judged Daniel innocent, even though the ridiculous Persian law said he was guilty. Verse 22. Darius was overjoyed with Daniel's survival in the lion's den. He commanded for his immediate release. The reason Daniel survived was because he believed in his God. Verse 23. It is called mountain-moving, lion-stopping faith. Something about faith makes us untouchable to the things of the world. What happened next is what we call the Haman-like results. Just as Haman the enemy of the Jews in the book of Esther, was hung on the gallows that he had built for Mordechai, the Jew. So Daniel's enemies were going to have a taste of their own vindictiveness. Darius gave an immediate command that Daniel's accusers, their wives and children, be cast into the lion's den. The lions had mastery over them all and broke their bones in pieces of all who came to the bottom of the den. Verse 24. Remember, in the case of Haman, he wasn't the only one to be hung, also his ten sons. Mosaic law says of any who maliciously bear false witness, then do to him as he intended to do to his brother, in Deuteronomy 19, verse 19. This type of Persian justice is harsh, where even the wives and children suffer for the sins of the husband and father. After the execution of Daniel's foes, the king issued a decree to all people, nations, languages, all over the earth. Verse 25. It had a global impact. Like an evangelist, the king proclaimed, even demanded, that men pay homage to the God of Daniel. The decree said, verses 26 and 27 of Daniel 6, quote, I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom men tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, and steadfast forever, and his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed, and his dominion shall be unto the end. He delivered and rescueth, and he worketh signs and wonders in heaven and in earth, who hath delivered Daniel from the power of the lion. That's Daniel chapter 6. Verses 26 to 27. This is a remarkable confession from a heathen king, just like what Nebuchadnezzar did a few decades earlier. Yet, how could he not be convinced that the Lord was God when he saw the great deliverance of the prophet? Daniel chapter 6 ends 
with a time-sensitive verse. Daniel continued and prospered in the reigns of Darius and Cyrus. Daniel chapter 6, verse 28. Another way to view it, Daniel lived a very long life, at least into his late 80s, if not 90s. From here, Daniel will be having some dreams and visions of his own. Like Nebuchadnezzar, some of them would be troublesome. This podcast is taken from the book, The Prophet from Babylon, Understanding the Book of Daniel. You can obtain the audio or print or electronic version through Teach All Nations in Australia and the United Kingdom or from Amazon.com worldwide.